Hello, hello, and welcome, welcome to the Rhythm and Love podcast. I'm your co-host, Melvin. And I'm your other co-host, Nick. Thanks for checking out the show, everybody. Melvin, how's it going? Uh, it's going good. Uh, quite well, actually. Mm-hmm. I must say that. How about you? I'm doing great. Uh, you know, life um, has been treating me good lately. Yes. Yeah, I saw my grandparents for the first time. Yep. In 590 days. Wow. Yep. Uh, and I, I post on my Instagram stories, you know, there's nothing like a hug from your grandma. Oh, totally. And uh, hearing your grandpa snoring on the couch. Because <laughs> he's just had, had, had a day. <laughs> nice. Yeah, dude, that's that's sick. And you also mm-hmm. got a, I don't want to say a horseshoe up your butt, but you're a lot of a lot of good things are happening to you. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, by the time this airs. Uh, a new career is happening for me soon. Yeah, uh, I'm still doing video stuff, just with a different company. It's amazing, and I'm very excited. I'm very excited for mm. you too, because you've been talking about it for a while. Yeah, I mean, I've been pretty quiet. Yeah, because you know, I uh, I don't know how to word this right now, but you know, You're respectful. I'm respectful towards. The opportunities I've been given, yeah. and a new opportunity presented itself, yeah. and I decided to jump at that opportunity, Yeah, and I'm thrilled that I did. Dude, I'm glad you did that, because, you know, that's kind of what this podcast is about. Like, what you know, we hear a lot from these people is, you gotta jump at things. Absolutely, and like... Jump, you jump. And that's what I'm willing to say, too, like, you know, talking to all these people on this podcast, it's literally been, you know... You have to do, take that leap every once in a yeah. while. Oh, yeah. Oh. So, you know, and, you know, you might regret it, but it's a lesson you're going to learn. Hey, kind yeah, of thing. totally. I was just, uh, I was looking at this thing uh, a couple days ago, and it was, the basically, the lesson was, if you can, uh, you know, if you're worried about something, or, you know, if you have the idea that it's okay, it's not going to work out. That will strengthen you to get to where you need to go, and so when that opportunity comes, finally, we we all got to chase our opportunities. And exactly. Our guest this week. Oh, he chased opportunities. Oh, he's chasing. This guy's chasing hat. Yeah. Okay, so this week's guest we got Pete Van Helvert. Um, from he played in a legendary Toronto band called Teenage Kicks. Um, they did quite well at a, like, in a very quick amount of time, Mm -hmm. um, and had a, you know, they had a really good run, um, you know, Pete talks a lot about the early days with Teenage Kicks and even his earlier bands and... Yeah, he, like, he, you know, he got really deep about, you know, his first kind of recording when he was in grade nine. Yeah, yeah. And we got, uh, we got an insider scoop about his first pop punk band names oh yeah and yeah. they're great they're yeah. those great band names very sexually chad yes <laughs> say. Uh, you'll hear it um but pete has also you know done a num- number of other things he's produced uh, a bit he did a flatliners record called inviting light which I is melvin's favorite yes flatliners record yes uh that song freaking chameleon skin oh my gosh that 
tune. It gives me chills, man. Mm-hmm. Goosebumps just thinking about it. Um, he also is producing. Well, produced. He produced. It's done. It's produced. It's oh, done. Yeah. It's the new masters. Texas Kane EP. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah, he he produced it, and uh, we'll talk a bit about it in this interview. But yeah, he was just amazing to work with. Um, just a fantastic person. Uh, this guy, so ahead of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Plus, he, he did. He um, you know, we talked about a future project that he has yep. involving Brett from the Glorious Sons. Darling Congress. Yeah, he did a bit of a guitar tag with Glorious Sons. Yep. So we talked to someone who's been a producer, who has been in a band, who has been a tech. Yep. Uh, That's a home run. Yeah, this guy, is, he's done quite a bit. So um, we hope you guys enjoy listening to Pete. Um so if you're, uh, I don't know, playing mini putt, or you're on a week of holidays, oh. just relaxing. Grab yourself a drink and enjoy the show. Enjoy the show, everybody. Um, I worked, and then uh, my wife and I rode our bikes down to go mini golfing for the first time this year. Oh no way! Uh, yeah, that Adventure Village. I won, uh, but it was actually it was pretty good. A pretty good round. A few hole in ones. She got one as well. Um, yeah, it was pretty good. I go to this this spot off of uh, the QEW Niagara Adventure Village. It's my favorite place to go. Oh, it's by. Nice. Uh, sorry, where is that? Uh, Niagara. No, uh, no, it's like QEW Niagara, but it's like it's right at Centennial Parkway. So just after the Skyway um, on the left hand side, it's right next to the water park. Okay, it's like part I, of that, that uh, group of buildings. I know what you're talking about. Um, honestly, man, it's like as soon as I get to Hamilton, I just love that part of Ontario. Just yeah, like, it's nice. It's yeah, it's getting kind of crazy on the weekends. It's like it's constant traffic just because I think everyone's going up to Niagara, like base of the escarpment and stuff. It's very nice. Right. Yeah. Are you feeling yeah. good about things opening up again? Like you're getting ready to do some things, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like Marta, Marta's a nurse, uh, so it's been tough on her and, you know, it's nice that it's kind of calming down, um, you know, and getting less crazy at the hospital and, uh, you know, just like being able to go out and see our family and stuff. We, because of her job being in ICU, we, we basically didn't see any family for, you know, six or seven months. So we were pretty locked in here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, just, I just saw my dad on Saturday, first time since my Oma passed away in December. So, like, yeah. Oh, wow. Well, sorry to hear that, too, as well, man. No, no, it was good. Best, yeah. It's fine. Yeah. She had, she had, see your dad, though. That's great. Yes. Well, that's like, I saw, I saw my grandparents for the first time this weekend. They're up in Sudbury, and my mom calculated it. It's been 590 days. Wow. Like, we had, like, Zoom chats and, like, phone calls, but, like, being able to see them yeah. in person is just so much better. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yeah, we're we're community driven people by nature, right? So it's like it's pretty hard. I think that's why a lot of the resistance was there. People, you know, don't know how to act when they can't see their loved ones. But hopefully, we're through it. Wow. Yeah, that's actually a pretty good analysis of it. Um, of the whole thing. Yeah, it's been a weird time. I'm glad things are really starting to open up, and I know you 
probably got some stuff coming up, but we're going to take trip down memory memory lane. Okay. Before we get to what you're about to do. Um, okay. <laughs> so for those who don't know, uh, Pete played in a legendary Toronto band called Teenage Kids. <laughs> um, all four of us in Texas King were very big fans of Pete and all your work that you guys did. Um, one thing that I noticed about teenage kicks is the traction i mean or not even the traction but you guys gained attention like fairly quick not Mm -hmm. like super quick but like you know you were doing well it always seemed like you guys were doing well it was like initially it was it actually kind of slowed down for a bit but initially it was a lot of stuff really fast because we were in a band originally we were in a band called Cain and abel that was like my brother and I, um, and two other people, uh, our, our friend George from our hometown and this, this guy, Kelly Billen, who's, who went on to drum in a bunch of, uh, like metalcore bands. Oh, and right, so we right. toured, we toured in Cain and Abel, which was my band, but then we also played in my brother's band, which was M code, which was a metalcore band. And yes. we would like, yeah. And we would play shows like where both of us would play. And we did that for a while. And then Jeff left the band and George left the band and we replaced them with, uh, Paul Russo, who's now in Silverstein and Christian, Christian Turner, who is a friend of mine from Georgetown. Who's just like a really great guitar player who I had like played in, you know, bands with and, and known for a long time. And so that band, it was really only like a year that we were that lineup. And then that band broke up and I started a new band with Christian called Ulysses and the Siren. And basically Ulysses and the Siren, the last songs that we recorded be, were the first songs that Teenage Kicks released. So when Teenage wow. Kicks started, we already had all of this stuff ready, but not a lot of people knew the band before Teenage Kicks. So we were able to kind of like, we, we quite literally like moved to Toronto and, and put ourselves like right in the middle of the scene that was coming at that time. Wow. Uh, and it, it did happen relatively fast like we had i had literally i was like working at a warehouse i was managing one side of the warehouse jeff was managing the other (laughs) and i was like i got an email from someone from atlantic in like new york city wow you know and and it was like the first couple months of that band was like that like we got played uh on xfm by john kennedy who's basically like um uh why can i not he's like the john peel of like our generation and and he was playing us like you know couple times a night for like three weeks like and everything seemed like it was very easy and so at the beginning we were kind of colored by like we obviously we worked hard we practiced four or five nights a week like we took it very seriously but the like the social aspects of the band we had to do less of like we had to do less of like schmoozing and hanging out at the bar and stuff which i was i was straight edge until i was 26 so i never really got that into drinking and we were never much of a a party band when we were on the road so the the initial part was very easy and then there was a really nasty grind in the middle part in like before the end part where everyone was leaving and we were just having to have like a new drummer every month because we could only find people that could do like pockets of things right right um yeah Okay, so and you said you you guys had moved to Toronto. Yeah, we were in Guelph before, and we moved. Jeff and I moved to Toronto, and we moved into this raggedy house on Gooch Avenue. That's actually the street, 
Um, and we, we kind of like, it was an ad on Kijiji, but the woman was like, it's not ready, but she had an ad up for it. So we just basically, we figured out where it was based on Google maps and we just showed up and we were, we had money in hand. We were like, we will give you money today. We just want to be able to move into this place. Wow. And that was like a long, the beginning of a long relationship was like the ultimate slumlord. But we basically <laughs> moved in like a month later and everything was, it was garbage everywhere. We'd have running water. Like it was brutal. So, but we had this house that we paid like $1,200 a month for in Toronto. And we had the whole house and we had a studio in the basement eventually. And that's where we practiced. And wow. uh, we were there for like 10 years. And I, I recorded the dirty nil there. I recorded, you know, Jeff stuff. I recorded some Julie and Rialino. I, recorded like a bunch of bands and like spoils of youth was uh recorded there everything other than the drums like wow yeah like a lot of stuff holy crap dude that's uh yeah. so that worked out for you so how, you would say that that move to toronto was like very important for you you know coming from a smaller city in the gta it opened it was, up a lot it, of doors for you it was a huge catalyst and because we had up to that point it only ever really played in all ages bands like we would I was used to like going and playing a show and we'd be back home watching a movie at 10 o'clock at night. Right. Cause we did all, we did all the YMCA's and we did the community halls and all that stuff. Right. right? Yeah. You know, you'd go, we had like, we had a 96 grand am, a green one with a U-Haul trailer that it was like an old, old U-Haul trailer that we had like refurbished and we would all pile into that. And that was what we took to shows. Wow. And you'd make a hundred bucks a night and you'd be like, this is great, you know, because everyone was like, for the most part, still living at home with their parents or, yeah, you know, yeah. the end of it, I was in school, but you know, my, I was paying for my rent with my like OSAP. So you just like you valued money in a different way. Yeah. Right. Well, that was really nice. And, and I think, um, it opened you up to a lot of experiences because you were just like, you just wanted to play. It didn't matter how you did it or where, what the cost was. It was just like, yeah, let's just play a show. And you know, if there was a hundred people there, it was like, that was a great night, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. It's still a great night of a hundred people. Show. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, but that's, but that's the irony, right? Is then as soon as I started playing music that would have been for a larger audience, it got harder. Like everything was harder, uh, in terms of like making it work, everyone starts being an adult. So everyone has their own bills to pay. Like, you know, right. it just gets more and more complicated as you get older. Uh, and then also like, I think when people are younger, you get a really open hearted support from your yeah. peers and from like, and friends from high school and all this stuff. And as you get older, people have their own things and mm -hmm. they're like, Oh, you know, it's just, he's still in a band, you know, like it just, it ends yes. up being kind of like a little passe. Right. Yeah. So, but it's funny cause you put all that time in and you get better and you, you know, really hone your craft and you're doing, you know, arguably the best thing that you've ever done. And you kind of have to prove yourself to people more than you did when you were 16, yeah. you know, and you're like <laughs> totally. churning out the first thing that came to you on a guitar and an open tuning, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I was listening to an interview with the singer of ghost and he was now this isn't, relatable to rock music but he was saying the best death metal records that ever came out were between the ages of uh the members would be like between 16 and like 22 those are the right. best. once they passed on and they like made the next level like cannibal corpse he's like the records they're good but they didn't have that angst anymore yeah so, well if you think about you know all most 
there's some exceptions, but most of the greatest artists of our time, they were all around that age. You know, when we were making Spoils of Youth, we were in Hollywood, like near Fairfax, where all of like the fashion places are, like Supreme is there and, and yeah. the hundreds and everything. And when we were there, the Odd Future store was there. And we would walk by, because we would go and get gelato, and we would walk by Tyler the Creator all the time. He was just, no hanging, out with, like, the, just hanging out with the Odd Future crew, skateboarding in front of their store. And it was just like, you kind of, at that time, I would have been like 26 or something. And you kind of realize that you're like, yeah, like Guns N' Roses were like 19, you know, like it, right. Nirvana were 19, 20. Like it just like, it makes sense as to like, even, you know, you could use the same thing, the Beatles, CCR, like it's, it's almost like, like um, a constant, right? That people are like at that very young age where you lack self-doubt. So I think you're able to kind of create without Whoa. looking too introspectively as to like huh. if people will like it or whatever it is you have this like this confidence and it's not even necessarily ego or if it is ego it's like ego in the like the um kindest sense you know it's not like it's not like an evil ego it's just like you know yeah. you just have this like, exuberance about you because you're young right? right you haven't necessarily experienced like you know the world like coming down on your shoulders so but it was just like it was funny to like walk by the odd future guys and like it's sean the guy who was like filming everything we were doing down there it was like i think he was the one who said it it was just like you know this is they are basically the the youth voice right which you can't fight what the younger people say because you have no choice like you'll always end up looking dated by arguing against you know <laughs> so who's making music uh you know for the younger generation because you're not the younger generation if you're judging it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, there's always that, that famous catchphrase like, you have your whole life to write your first record. Oh, right. right. Like, you know, it's just yeah. like your second one's your hardest kind of thing because you've uh, already yeah. done this. Yeah. yeah. You need to top it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Luckily, uh, if you have Pete around, it might turn out all right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, buddy. Shout out. <laughs> um, so did you like grow up in like a musical family at all? Like were your parents musicians or? Well, my dad is, my dad is not a good guitar player, but he's a good singer. Like he's like just a natural singer. Uh, he didn't start playing guitar until he was probably in his twenties, but he just, he can sing and he can kind of sing anything. Like when I was growing up, like he has a tendency of like putting the same, like voice on everything. So he'll sing everything from like Neil Diamond to, um, to the band, to the Beatles, to like blue rodeo, like everything, but it's all the same voice, but it, I like his voice a lot. We actually, we made Jeff and I made a record or not a record, but an EP with him under the moniker Van Helvoort. Like that we put out very quietly, um, probably three years ago. And we just went to his house. Jeff and I wrote the songs. We spent a weekend with him. He was not good at recording. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> he had like a glass of wine in his hand and he was like, you know, like a foot and a half away from the mic. And he's like, ah. <laughs> so it took like, <laughs> it took a lot of like, uh, a lot of like editing and smoothing to like get the, like the vocal because he just like, he'd never recorded before. And he's also deaf in one ear because he had the mumps when he was a kid. And so it, he ended up losing hearing in his one ear. Wow. So he just like couldn't figure out headphones, like, you know, his pitch was all wonky, but you put him with like an acoustic guitar and he's great. Yeah. But my mom can't, my mom can't carry a tune. And I don't know, I just had like an interest in it when I was 
like grade six, grade seven, I would write songs in tab, but I couldn't play guitar. So right. I was just like, yeah, this makes sense. Like, here you go. <laughs> like, this will sound good. And I, I put out like my first like independent release that I recorded myself when I was like the first couple months of grade nine. So I've wow. been doing it since I was like 13. Holy crap. Yeah. Okay. And the first band I was in, here's a deep cut. Yeah. was called the can't get it ups. And then <laughs> after the can't get it ups, I had third leg. And then after third leg was on the rise and they were all like pop punk bands. <laughs> uh, dude, I love that. Um, all innuendos. That's great. But, um, what kind of, what influenced you when you did that first record by yourself in grade nine? Were you listening? It to was pop, pop punk for sure. But like before it was, it was like when I was like in grade six, grade seven stuff, like what I listened to when I was growing up was my dad used to torture us with he had this like Led Zeppelin box set that has like crop circles on the cover of it. Yeah. And he would wake us up every Saturday morning at like 7 a.m. with Black Dog as loud as possible so that we could go do chores. <laughs> like, cause my dad is just like, my dad grew up on a farm and he's like, he's like one of those like, why you're like, why? And he's like, because I said so. Like, he's just like, he's like that guy. It's better now, but when we were kids, he was like, you know, pretty intense. Yeah, and yeah. so I grew up listening to like a lot of classic rock. I hated Led Zeppelin for a long time because of, of that memory. Um, but <laughs> But then I got into the edge and I had like a cassette recorder and I would just record the top 30s. And like all I wanted for Christmas from basically grade five on was I just wanted like CDs. I would just like make a list of like what CDs I wanted and I would make my own mixtapes. So I listened to a lot of like, like the first tape I ever had, I think was probably Pearl Jam 10. I still remember my, my uncle Jim coming over for Christmas when I was 11. So it would have been night. Uh, 1990 or no sorry i would have been nine it was 1994 and he had vitology for my dad and amorica by the black crows and vitology's pearl jam and vitology is a very cool cover it's not normal size and it has like a little booklet inside like because at that time pearl jam were still like pressing vinyl and stuff Whoa. uh so they were very much into like how music was being packaged and then black crows amorica is literally like it is the v shape of a bikini with like a woman's pubic hair coming out of it so i like like those two cds like stuck with me because the both of those covers are like crazy like america is literally like an american flag like bikini um and so like that was kind of the music that i listened to when i was like you know like a kid living at home i listened to like rock and and grunge and you know like i liked navi like our lady peace and uh uh, the record after that clumsy, like I liked a lot of that kind of stuff, like pretty much all guitar music with the exception of in grade eight, I listened to a lot of like, like Puff Daddy and Mace and stuff really? like that. No way. Yeah. And then, oh, and I actually was obsessed with Fatboy Slim, the record that has praise you on it. Okay. Uh, I listen to that all the time. But then as soon as I got into high school, I found mp3.com. And I was like immediately into it was pop punk and it was like a lot of local bands. So I was like obsessed. I was like a super fan of like band, like there's a band from Milton that was called bikes and they were a ska band. And I had found them on, I forget what website it was, but there used to be like a, a thing that you could use that you could make free websites. And I found their website and I was like, I'm going to make a fan page 
for this like ska band from Milton. <laughs> and so I made, I made a fan page for this band and the bass player's girlfriend went to my school and she was a few years older than me. And she thought that I was the cutest thing in the world. Cause I thought that this was normal behavior. And she <laughs> kind of like her and her boyfriend took me under their wing and they were like straight edge. And that was why I became straight edge. And oh, wow. they, they were into like refused and international noise conspiracy and like, and a lot of things that I probably wouldn't have gotten into otherwise, like Fugazi, like, oh, yeah. uh, just like more like post-punk stuff. But I was very into, uh, pop punk, like the early stuff of pop punk, not necessarily the fat wreck stuff. I liked no effects in lag wagon, but that was still a little bit before my time. Right. So it would have been like the early movie life and stuff like that. And then the early screamo. So like taking back Sunday, uh, the first, like the first two Thursday records. Oh yeah. Um, like the first or the second thrice record, like illusion of safety. Like I saw all those bands when they were on those tours, like oh, those wow. early tours when they were at like the Phoenix and stuff like that. Wow. So, and I would go, I would go super early. I would stand outside, wait for autographs. Like I was like super fan, man. Like I had to be at the front. Like I was very, like very enamored with music. Even like when I got a little bit older and I became friends with like Billy from Silverstein and like Billy at that time was starting to go on tour with Silverstein, but we were very similar in age. Yeah. And like when I would see him, when he would come on from tour, I would just ask him what's tour like and like listen to all of his stories and all the bands that they played with. And right. I would go to rotate this like once a month or like once every two months in Toronto, buy like a bunch of new CDs, bring them home, look through the credits, like see who, which bands thank which bands. Like I was just like, oh. like obsessed. Yeah. yeah. But unfortunately, I didn't like a lot of music that like I like still, but I was just like, it was a good world to grow up in because I think that those bands made it seem attainable right. because you could, totally. you could go to the YMCA yeah. and you could watch, uh, you know, like, I mean, I used to go see Alexis on fire play at the, the church in Bramley in Brampton, wow. you know, and you could watch that a band go from that point and they were all very, very nice and very personable right. and, you know, you go and see that band there. And I used to get to hang out with Monine, which they were like my favorite band when I was like, you know, in high school, like I was obsessed. Yeah. yeah. And then and I'm hanging out with Kenny and I'm like, Oh, like you can do it. Right. Like right. it's possible. Right. Yeah. Whereas I think if I, if I would have spent my whole life being obsessed with like Zeppelin or something, I don't know that I would have thought it was possible, you know, or that I could do it myself. Like, cause I've had such like a DIY, like mentality, like the whole time I played music, it's always been like, I'll figure it out myself, you know? Mm. Um, but, dude, you're kind of blowing my mind right now. Like just thinking about that, like how music has changed for me, like what I listen to it's, yeah, it's a lot of, you know, bigger bands, successful bands that unattainable. Well, it's, it's not unattainable, but yeah, like I had a very similar upbringing, like listen, to all those bands, census fails my, they were my heroes and still are to a degree this day. But yeah, it was like possible because you saw it happen on like mm -hmm. unfold before you, like as the years right. went on and then like victory records had those CDs that had the DVDs that came with them and it would show all the bands right. that were on it. And that's how right. I would find right. all those bands. But it's crazy now learning more about how the business works. Not a lot of those bands survived. Oh. No. Yeah. They, those, there wasn't a lot of, and also America is so competitive. Like they don't have 
they don't have government funding in a lot of the things. Oh, the cats threw this guy out. Um, they don't have a lot of the the safety nets that we do, right? And that's why I think in America you, you have that like cutthroat survival of the fittest thing, which is like, you know, is is good in one way because I think it makes bands that are really lean and work really hard, but it's bad because I think there's probably bands that that could have got through but can't because they just hit that wall. Yeah, you know. Yeah, there's a big uh, financial wall that comes uh, staring at you pretty hard. Um, yeah. And she's scary. But you just take a step back and uh, you'll see that you can just walk around it. <laughs> yeah, well, you, I mean, not to, not to get too aside, but you guys, Texas King has always been, you know, you guys are a very intelligent financial band. You know, like it's, you guys have done a lot of things yourself, which I think it helps. Um, you know, you hit walls in different ways sometimes with that. But like, I think it... It, it, when you do that stuff yourself early on, which you guys have, I think it creates a work ethic in, in a musician where you don't have that level of entitlement and you're willing to work that much harder than maybe someone else is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really what will define you in, in the long term of a career, right? It's like how hard you're willing to work and, you know, like to play music. Like I know a lot of people from the outside think that it's like this, like, amazing easy ride but like it's the hardest job there is because how many jobs are there out there where your pay is not guaranteed you know like it's you have to you have to truly have a passion and a a love for it to to do it you know so i think if you've like like you guys you know you do the shirts like that's a that's a thing that you learned i think from a podcast that you listen to right yeah but it's like but you like, you do that and you're like, okay, this is a great skill. And then if you're, you know, you're a good person. So you probably have told three other bands about that. And then you like, you share that learned knowledge, right. That allows bands to kind of like control more of the pie for themselves. Right. Um, which is really the only way that it'll work. Also, no one will ever care as much as you do about what you do. You know, I think that, I think people sometimes forget that. Well, people forget that they get a, a manager and agent and I did this, you know, my first manager, I was like, and he was a, a great, great guy, but no one will ever care as much as you do. So it's like, you have to always have that in the back of your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember like being in the studio with you and you were talking quite a bit about like, uh, you know, your earlier days. What would Me you Me talking say? quite a bit? What a surprise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good, man. Um, no, we loved hearing your stories because i mean you're just a well a well of knowledge um but like from that that time period because you're a totally different man now i would say like would you Mm -hmm. agree you're a different person now yeah yeah like i think like i think i'm i'm a kinder person i think i i did some things back then that i i think i treated people in the band not as well as i would have now and i was maybe not as like generous as a human being as i think I, I try to be now, but I think my, okay. I think my morals and my, like my compass is pretty similar to what it was back then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, and that's great. Um, what would you say from, you know, your time of teenage kicks, what's like the biggest thing you could give advice to any sort of band? Young yeah. Band. So yeah. It's kind of like what I said about like being able to do, do things yourself, which I think I was really good at. Um, you know, I produced a lot of our stuff. I mixed a lot of our stuff. Like I did all of our demos. Like we did a lot of stuff in house, but then it's like knowing when to ask for help 
and knowing when to let other people in. And I didn't let a lot of people in. And I think that it really hurt us as a band because the thing is, is that music is really competitive and there's only 24 hours in the day. So like, it doesn't matter how many people are on earth. Like you're competing with a lot of other groups uh, for that, that time and that attention that, you know, you do need in order to be successful. And I think that there was a lot of people who liked our band a lot in the music industry that I, I was like, I know better than you do. You know, I had, I had like an ego that was like, was dangerous. Sometimes it was good because I could convince people of things that I, I thought were right or make them take a chance on me when we weren't necessarily proven. But in other ways, people were like, Hey, you can go fuck yourself. Like it just kind of ended up in that category more than anything where I think we just like, I burnt a lot of people out. Um, so that that's like the biggest piece of advice is just like, no, not, not be afraid to ask for help, but just be willing to still put in your full effort. Like no person joining your team is going to change your destiny. You still have to be a very big part of that yourself. Thank you for saying that. That's, that's really important. I've been, uh, I a hundred percent agree with you on that one. I think Nick, you would even agree with just, in your life, you've... Oh, yeah. Well, that's the thing, too, is it's, like, it's scary to open it up to new people because, like, it's your it's your baby. It's your project. It's what you're yeah. putting your name behind. So, right. you know, that, you know, bringing outside people in is kind of just, like, you know, do it my way or, you know, my way or the highway. Yeah, kind yeah. Of thing. So that's, right. kind of, you know, like, you know, yeah. bands. I mean, Texas Kane choosing you to produce the new EP kind of thing, like, even just wind that outsider input. Yeah. I remember... Right. Um, we you know the one day at the studio when I was talking to all the guys, like, okay, why Pete? And like, they each gave their answers. And it was, you know, it was pretty simultaneous. They're all like, we love his work that he's done. And uh, we need to, uh, we want to hear his opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And your opinion was absolutely valuable. And this is a great segue into producing. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Cause you've produced a lot of or well i don't know but like a lot but like um you produced a very favorite record of mine which was actually one of the first moments that i had shared with jordan where me and him finally bonded on something which was the first mm-hmm. jam um and it's that inviting light record that mm-hmm. flatliners record um and um and you said you did the dirty no was that the earlier stuff yeah so like the nail was more of like because I won't take more credit than credit is due. So with the nail, it was like, I found them on the internet. It was like right just after fucking up young came out and I just stumbled upon them on Bandcamp, and I was blown away by it. And I, at that time, like at least in kicks, that was like one thing I thought I was good at. I, I tried to do things that I was like, I wish this would have been something that we could have had for us when we were younger, which was to like, take bands that were like smaller than us and like put them on shows, but pay them well, like, you know, not like $80 or something like that. Like try and like, uh, you know, like take care of people. And so I reached out to the nil. I said, I, I love this song. And they were playing at the horseshoe, like, you know, pretty recently after that, I went, we went to see them, introduced ourselves. We played a show with uh, theory of a dead man in Hamilton where they're from maybe like two weeks after that. And they came to that. And that was the first time that we like, really bonded. And so I just, the first thing I did with them was as a part of, we had a thing called the singles club in teenage kicks, which 
which was pretty much the length of the band, but it was like kind of like right before the second, uh, the second EP and uh, just about to the end of the band. And we did like, uh, a Levon Helm tribute thing. Uh, and I recorded all the bands. And so I recorded the nil and that started like the nil would come over and do demos or they would come over and I recorded like the flexi series, uh, that they did which which was like usually covers was what they would record for the most part right so a couple of the cassette things i recorded um all in all probably like 10 or 15 songs but in terms of producing i let the nil be the nil i just like i mm. i got the guitars to sound the way i wanted them to but it, they were pretty loud vocals up the front um and i i believe in that style of producing but i think producing is like probably a bit of a a fancy word to use for what I did with them. That was more like friends hanging out in the basement, you know, doing stuff together. Right. Okay. So, so the first thing I ever really produced was, was the flatliners. And other than you guys, kind of it, like, and other than my stuff, yeah, but yeah. I've kind of always avoided it to be honest. Why do you think that? Um, it's a lot of, it's like, it's a, a big, task and it's like part of it i suppose is like insecurity but like i don't know like if i had been successful in my career then maybe i would be like well obviously i know what's right but that at this point in time with the success that teenage kicks had the way i feel about songwriting is more my opinion <laughs> you know what i mean it's like it's not necessarily right like there's people that like it but like i don't have any like real proof that the way that i hear music is the right way and so that was my apprehension with even working with you guys and the Flatliners thing. Right. But the Flatliners thing was um, Chris and I were really close and, and they have always been just the, the nicest band to us, like to Teenage Kicks. And I was just recording their demos in my basement and they were going to go make the record with someone else. And I started chopping the songs up kind of like what I did with you guys yeah. and like rearranging them. And it, just the way the timeline worked out, I ended up like, you know, kind of really producing the songs, like the actual arrangements and stuff. When we got in the studio, that was when we started working with Derek and Derek Hoffman. He came on as just an engineer, but Derek is like, he's a good engineer, but he's like, he's a great producer. And so it was very clear early on that like, he was not just going to engineer. So I took Chris aside and I said, I think that Derek should produce this with me because I think anything short of that is just going to be clunky, right? right. Because he, he would have opinions, uh, rightly so, because he does that for a living more so than I than I did. Yeah. So that was kind of how that came about. So I really felt like I had more to do with the song writing portion of it with the flats. Okay. And then with you guys, it was really the first time that I was kind of like getting in there with the vocal takes and stuff. And that was because of how Brett produced me, Brett from the Glorious Sons right. in the summer, right? Where I had never, I've been recording myself with very few exceptions for 15 years. So that was the first time that someone really kind of came in and, and tried to like kick my ass a little bit and, yeah, and yeah. make me uncomfortable, yeah. right? So, and with Jordan, it was less of make him uncomfortable. It was more of like, find like the emotional resonance of where the vocal take was coming from. And I, I felt like a lot of the stuff with you guys was like, it was more like therapy in a good way, but like it was right. kind of finding a connection between like 
a feeling of something and then the performance or why something needed to sound the way that it did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought, I mean, the experience with you was the first time I hadn't had any experience like that with a producer. It was always just, um, worked with some very talented people, but it was always just like, you know, kind of let the band be the band. Right. You were like so detailed. And I, you know, I've mentioned it, you know, to other people, like, this guy comes in, he's got a clipboard, he's got the whole song mapped out before you even know what's going to happen. And just that whole experience when you came down into our basement and, you know, we'd play 30 seconds of a song, hand goes up, drums, what are you doing? <laughs> no. <laughs> be like this. And then I, it was Strange Life. We actually ended up not doing that uh, that structure. Not version. Yeah, um, yeah. the, the way that the instruments reacted after you had fixed everybody was like, it was amazing and all of a sudden the, yeah, the vocal was coming through and everything was just locked it was just such a unique experience for me and i like i loved it so wow. i really hope you continue with producing because i mean i don't hopefully the tk thing does well but like if not like it's one of the best things uh i've ever been a part of and i would say you have a huge hand in that so thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm proud to be involved. Like, I think it strengthened my relationship with all you guys and obviously a lot with Jordan. I've known Jordan forever, but now, you know, I feel like almost like a, a kinship, like, you know, like a brother. But yeah, it was fun. Like, I'm glad that I did it. I'm not like necessarily actively seeking it out. Um, I, we're going to do, Brett and I are going to do something with Keegan, who plays wow. guitar on my stuff, and he played guitar on Spoils of Youth. Um, you know, but... It's, yeah, it's, it's a weird one. It's like it's something that I like, I feel like a lot of the skills that I've developed over my adult life, they fit in well to producing, but I still don't necessarily feel like a producer. It's just like one of the things that I've kind of figured out how to do, you know? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, like, yeah, prepper and prepper this interview. Um, I read that you guys got to work with, uh, uh, Alan Johannes, right? Yeah, yeah, that was that was the first version of Spoils of Youth. What uh, what was it like working with him? Because he's got a pretty heavy roster behind his name. Yeah, um, it was weird. Uh, like it was, he, he was. There's like a there's a lot to this story, so I, I won't go too deep into it. But um, he's an ex- incredibly talented person, and I I think that he w- had a lot going on, and I think that I think that he was used to people kind of coming in and being in awe of him because he is so talented and I was there to work and it was really expensive to work in California and to work with him for that amount of time. And so I just like, I think that I maybe pushed his buttons a little bit. Um, (laughs) okay. Yeah. And so, and, and basically like I thought as a band, we were very good at that time. And, and I, I, I don't know if it was kind of like, let the band be a band, but the more time I've had to sit on it, like I still feel very positively about it. And we just put out that version of the record, but I mixed it. Um, I did that like, I think in May of 2020, but it was just like the more time I've had to think about it, the more I realized that this is actually another lesson I could give people, um, is know who you are. Uh, and that doesn't mean like stay within a box, but like, I think sometimes people, they get confused as to who they wish they were and who they actually are. And Alan has an, an incredible um, 
lineup of people that he's worked with, like Arctic Monkeys, Queens of the Stone Age, uh, Chris Cornell, like he was in Queens of the Stone Age, he was in them Crooked Vultures, like he's done some incredible stuff. And we didn't really fit into any of that. Uh, but I just like, at that time, we had this other person come, um, John Daniels, who is one of the owners of Crush Music and is a delightful man who now manages like Kurt Cobain's estate and uh, Weezer and Green Day and like a bunch of stuff. Like he's just like, he's a monster. And he was like, I think that Butch, uh, Butch Walker should do this. And we had found through our old manager, Jason, we had found Alan or he had found Alan. And I was like, well, Alan's cool. And like, and Butch Walker, I don't know, but like Butch Walker totally would have been a better choice. And we probably would have made a, a different record than we did, but we probably would have made a record that would have been less volatile to like the band's existence. And a lot of that was just cause I didn't, I didn't really know who we were. I wanted to be Queens of the stone age, but we weren't, you know, Whoa. like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, Whoa, dude, that's a that's a big one, man. Like, I can relate to that. I'm gonna relate to it the best way I know how to, and that's with talking drums. <laughs> Sometimes when I would write drum parts, especially with Texas King, is I'm hearing it fully mixed as if it was a Blink record. Mm-hmm. Often it's Blink. Sometimes mm-hmm. it'd be a sense of fit. So I'm hearing it, and then I'm trying to play a beat over something that the other guys have written, but right. it's not in context at all right because the drums aren't the same uh they're not mixed the same and you're also not playing the same style so it just comes across lost and that's the thing it's like i wish i was that drummer Mm -hmm. but i am not that drummer right this drummer right and this does not call for sure and it's like kind of like when we were working on your songs and we were talking about like i think we it was really early before we even started working on songs and and i said like if the audience sees Jordan as the star of the band, it doesn't, it doesn't take away from anyone in the band's importance to the process, which is to serve the song. Right. right yeah. and, and to serve the song is to know who you are and to know who the band is. Right. It's not like three different people like playing like their favorite person, but in a way that doesn't work with what the other people are doing. Right. I mean, there's a reason why, it's a band. I always liked it so much. The early days of single mothers, it was like single mothers is a gang, you know, and really it's true. Like that is yeah. what a band is, right? Like yeah. a band that really works is, is a group of people who like know each other intimately yeah. um, and are all kind of working towards the same goal. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're doing your own, your own thing, it's not going to work. It'll, it'll come across come across weird that's for sure um yeah man serving the song i mean we could you could have just a whole episode on that because i feel like there's a there's a deep philosophy to that because like who it's like what you're saying like who's um who is right you know how i perceive music who's actually right right? this person is that person you know it's you get caught up in it but um well music because it's so subjective like you know you're thinking you have you have something that contains both Bach and the Ramones, right? And you right. don't you don't necessarily have something that is like that vast in like film or TV, yeah. you know what I mean? Like 
like I, I guess you could like argue like the dogma 95 and all that kind of like, you know, there are obviously experimental things out there, but like with the same degree of popularity, obviously, you know, Bach is very popular and the Ramones are very popular and they're both forms of music. Right. And they could not be like more different yet. They encompass elements. Like if you Beatles and like the planets, yeah. right. Like or Beatles and a lot of classical music, but it would be hard to like, just listen to it and draw a line between those two things without, you know, thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a crazy thing. Like I was same, same seven damn notes. Yeah. Everyone's working with the same shit. It's all you get. Um, and it's just how you, how you play with it. Um, I was listening to a John Mayer interview with, uh, Colin on the weekend and, um, he was talking about, he's like, when I go to write a record, I sit down and I make sure I figure out what I'm going to try to say first. Mm. Once he establishes that, the record flows out of him. Well, maybe not flows. Interesting. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What yeah. am I trying to say first? And that's a fucking big one, man. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways. Um, I do want to get into what you're about to do now, which is uh, Darling Congress. Yeah. Me and Nick are both curious. Is Brett yeah. in the band? No, but it's like we kind of the way that I've um, presented the band is that it's like it's more like a um, what's the word I'm looking for? Conglomeration is not the right word, but it's like it's like a group of people who are like this is part of the change that I've I've been trying to make over the last few years, basically since Teenage Kicks. It's like this appreciation of people and and what they um bring into something and that like you can't do everything by yourself and so brett was like extremely integral to the process um he's probably the reason that i'm even releasing music again just by him showing an interest in uh the songs that i had been writing which i was was basically showing him stuff on the tour bus when i went to work for the sons and I would, I was always up earlier than anyone else. And I would just noodle around and I wrote six or seven pretty good ideas that one summer. And then we just kind of started like, you know, periodically seeing each other. So he's not in the band proper, but like it's, it would be impossible for the project to exist without him or without his, like his production, uh, because I think he really made it something else and and so did everyone who played on it you know keegan um is such a great guitar player and our relationship kind of it never got like it was never totally gone after teenage kicks but the way in which he left and the fact that it kind of like you know drew a line between keegan leaving and the band breaking up like we were never exactly the same as we had been when i had first met him wow um but this like rekindled that and i'd say we're probably closer now than we've ever been and brent the guy who plays bass like he's someone that i've i've known since i was like 18 or 19 and conrad played drums and you know he's someone i've known forever and one of my favorite drummers and then matt snell the guy who engineered it like like it would be very unusual to add the engineer of a record to the members of the band but like you know he's mentioned in there as well and yeah, it's kind of like that group of people. And ideally, it'll be that group of people moving forward. But yeah, yeah. So um, it's kind of like a, um, uh, like, kind of like a broken social scene kind of. Yeah, it's it like 
I'm trying to think of something that it's like, I think of it more like, uh, I don't even know what I would say. I was going to say the band, but it's not really like the band, but it's not really like broken social scene either. Cause they, they are essentially my songs. Like I've written the songs, but they're like, they are open to the interpretation of the other people. Right. And so they've all taken up, they were all like very, very acoustic when I presented them to everyone, the record I thought was going to be like pretty slow and pretty down. And Brett kind of opened up my eyes to the fact that a lot of my music was kind of like feeling sorry for itself. Right. Not really looking for a way out, but just kind of like mulling over bad things that had happened to you or like ways you've been slighted, like, you know, things that don't really help anyone get better. And, and that was a big part of the journey over the last year and a half. It was like Brett making me realize that I was really writing all these songs from kind of a place of, of darkness, but I could write them from a place of darkness and have them have a light at the end of the tunnel, you know? And I think that the whole record like feels that way, like kind of like a journey. And even like the title of the record itself is Jubilant Blue, which is kind of that the blue is that that darkness and that like feeling of sadness and the jubilance is like, you know, kind of trying to burst out of that. Wow, dude. I love that. Yeah. Um, So it's a good, really, really special experience. Yeah, dude. Good for you. I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you had that. And that's, um, that's sick that you had that experience with Brett. Is that kind of go in with again, like what you're saying, like you were thinking you were writing songs this way and then when you, Get that perspective it's like actually this is what you're giving off so it's i wish i was writing <laughs> songs like this yeah like brett brett's a really interesting person to work with because i'm such a fan of his songwriting mm-hmm. but he also is like he's like kind of like a, a lightning rod like he's like one of those people that you know there's you'll see it sometimes if you watch a documentary the one that i think of the most whenever i think of people like this is in that uh Tom Petty documentary running down a dream. And he talks about how, like, it's almost like someone speaking through him and a song, like it just pops into his head. Oh yeah. And I get that. I get that from time to time. And I had like Brooklyn bridge. I, I woke up with that song and I like went downstairs before Jeff and I left for work and I walked over to a guitar and I like wrote that song in like, like five minutes. And Jeff woke up and was like, where did that come from? And I was like, I don't know. I woke up and it was in my head, you know? So I've had, I've had those moments, but like, I will sing something for Brett and in the moment he will be like, no, it should be like this. And he added a lot of movement to the way that I was writing songs. Like he made them like feel a lot more bouncy. And I put out a a solo record like three years ago and I, I like it, but it's very much me. And even like my friend John played drums on it, but most of what he was playing was what I had written in MIDI. Right. So he just replaced the MIDI drums. And I think the songs are good, but, the album is very flat and Brett was able to really add this, like this energy to it just out of like, out of the air, you know? Um, yeah. Wow. Um, so people that don't know, Pete is referring to Brett from glorious Sons, correct? So yeah. he doesn't play any other instruments, right? Like he plays guitar. Like, well, he- tell you. Oh, okay. He plays guitar. Okay. Yeah. And he actually plays piano. So when I first met okay. them, when, he made like the first ever cross Canada tour that teenage kicks did. We opened up for glorious sons. Right. 
Okay. And uh, he used to play piano. He was like, there was a piano in the middle of the stage and like, I wouldn't say half the songs, but maybe a third of the songs he would go over and he'd play the piano. So he's, he's always been musical. Um, and you know, he's like, I think a lot of the songs are coming, like the initial ideas is, is coming from him just like, you know, sitting at home and he'll like, he was living with the dirty nil for the last year up until I guess basically the start of COVID or a little bit into COVID. Yeah. And I've had conversations with Luke where he would say like, Brett has, you know, Brett would sit downstairs with a guitar for eight hours and he would write five songs. Like during the first like 20 days that we were home, um, like we canceled our tour, came home because of COVID. Brett was writing and posting a new song every single day on YouTube. Wow. Because at the time, I don't think anyone knew how long it was going to go on. And he got to the point of, I think like 25 songs or something like that. And then he stopped. But like that, that is like the rate at which he can produce uh, music. It's, it's pretty impressive. So for people that don't know Pete, you guitar tech for Glorious Sun. I guitar tech, yes. Number yes. of years. Um, uh, not actually that long. It's, it's a, it seems long, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but when I actually have gone back and like, been like, when did I start? It was like summer of 2019, so oh, not that long. Oh, yeah, it was like, it was, it was like, I got the call right before they did that gig with the Stones, uh, and I was working a job, and I basically quit my job and went out on the road with them. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And uh, what, do you, what do you think of guitar teching? Do you like it? Um, yeah, I, I think the things I don't like about it are, are from my own insecurities of like, just not like, I'm pretty crafty, but like guitar teching, like in the true sense of like the electronics of a guitar, especially like half the guitars on stage are hollow bodies and like yeah. hollow bodies when something breaks is the worst thing in the world to deal with. Cause I've always played hollow bodies and they're like a pain in the ass because yeah. you have to do everything through the F hole. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, I think I was good in terms of like my, my care for their happiness and their well being, but I don't know that I'm the most skilled guitar tech. <laughs> I'll say that much. Yeah. Dude, yeah. It, it is a trade. I did uh, one tour of, I can't, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to say I guitar teched it. I'm going to say it was stage hands. I was, I was there for the drummer. I was there, <laughs> but I did all the changeovers and stuff. But yeah, I did not. Do changing of the strings or the intonation because it is it is a craft i've seen yeah. very very talented guitar tech work in action uh shaner on the big rec tour yeah that guy is a dream like jordan snapped his headstock and uh shaner fixed jordan's guitar like, yeah and so and that's my thing is like i can i can set up a guitar and i can do this and that but like those guys who i think are the the actual like real guitar techs like i don't hold a candle to those people and um and that's like, I find like that's, it's like quite a, a craft, you know what yeah. I mean? Um, so luckily my bosses were not, you know, too hard on me. I think that was probably the most important part of it is that they yeah. just were like, <laughs> like Jay, especially is like quite chill. He's like, yeah, whatever, dude. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> does it work? Yeah, it does. All right. Yeah. yeah I was always, I think I was always giving him too much information probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you even got to do a couple shows too you played bass for the song i did i i played bass on what we got through of the canadian tour before covid yeah right yeah now it's that's cool I'm so happy we're coming well let me knock on wood yeah knock on wood because the numbers have 
been shitty again. Oh, don't say that, Pete. Don't say that. <laughs> We're looking. No, let's think of the fall. It's gonna be I good. Know. It's gonna be fun. You're gonna be playing shows. Yeah. It's gonna be good. Hope so. But um, all right, buddy. Well, man, we really want to thank you so much Thanks for so much, taking man. the time and you know. Very sorry. I know I, I talk a lot. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I hope to see you soon. Well, that was a that was a great one. That was a really good one. Um, Man, I love chat with Pete. We had many of those kind of conversations in the studio uh, when we were working with him. He's just he is that person. Uh, He's got lots to say and like just valuable things to say. Constantly learning from Pete. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's one of those things, like, surround yourself by people that you're constantly willing to learn from Mm. and, like, listen to their stories and take advice from. Totally. I mean, like, you know, when you guys were recording the new EP and I met, I saw Pete a couple times in the studio, you know, he was pretty quiet whenever I was there, but, you know, cameras were rolling Mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so you told me, oh, he's a talker. And I was kind of like, oh, he didn't really talk much when i met him yeah yeah but then i mean at the same time he knew cameras were rolling kind of thing we were getting the footage that we needed and he was working and he was working hard he was working yeah yeah his gears were spinning um so yeah well like you said yeah yeah he's sick Hmm. um i would recommend checking out some of the things that pete has done uh we got the flatliners record inviting light um Anything by Teenage Kicks, just fantastic stuff. Um, And then his solo albums are actually amazing. I was listening to them yesterday and today, getting ready for the interview again. He's got this amazing song called Sundowning. I would check that one out. But um, yeah, I think that's about it for this week. I mean, I know this episode's airing just released now on Monday, but I'll see you tomorrow night, Melvin. (laughs) Sounds good. Doing something else tomorrow night. Oh, future us are talking right future now. Future us. I don't know what's happening. Future us are talking about past us. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just is that alien tea we had before we had this interview. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Um, well, perfect. Thanks for checking out the show, everyone. Yes. Follow us on social media. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple reviews, you know, if you want to throw us a five star, we would love that. We are technically still a five star podcast. Woo! No, our lowest review, five stars. Oh, that doesn't mean you can go out there right now and just say, like, "I'm gonna fucking fucking give these guys a, a three-er. Please don't do that. No, please don't do that. Keep giving the fives. Yes, we love them. Five for five. <laughs> five for five. <laughs> All right, everybody. All right. Thanks Enjoy so much, your, everyone. Enjoy your days. Bye-bye. Bye.